When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. President Donald Trump's about to embark on the most significant and longest foreign trip of his presidency to date. He's going to Asia at a time when tensions over North Korea are mounting. So what can we expect? Joining me on the line from Washington is our diplomatic correspondent, Katrina Manson. And here in the studio is Jeff Dyer, who's a former bureau chief for the FT in both Beijing and uh, and a correspondent in Washington. Jeff, first of all, um, so... Where's Trump going and what do you think the top of the agenda will be? Uh, Well, as you mentioned, there's an extraordinarily long trip. It's 12 days. It's going to take him to five different countries. He's going to start with the the two anchor U.S. allies in Northeast Asia, Japan, South Korea. Then he goes to Beijing, goes to China. Then he'll be going to Vietnam. He'll attend our regional summit for the APEC summit. And then finally, he's going to the Philippines where he'll meet with the controversial president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte. So there's an awful lot going on, but I think there'll be kind of... I'd say three things that I'm particularly interested in. I mean, one is obviously the North Korea issue. I mean, every nuance of every statement that Trump makes about North Korea will be very closely analysed to see what it means about his mindset about the idea of preventative war, if he really is prepared to take military action to to try and stop the North Korean nuclear program. I mean, that will be the, the top news item, I would imagine. More broadly, I think people pay a lot of attention to just what he manages to articulate in terms of an Asian strategy. I mean, the Obama administration spent an awful lot of time trying to trying to define what they're trying to do in Asia, and you might disagree with them or agree with them, but that's something that they put a lot of effort in trying to you know, outline a very clear American strategy for the region. Thus far in the Trump administration, there's really been a sense of drift. I mean, they have a slogan, which is they have a free and open Indo-Pacific, but beyond that, they haven't really articulated what it is they're trying to do, and on something like China, their, their policy and their rhetoric has really been all over the place. And I think finally... It'll be very interesting to watch them. It's a, the aura of an American president in Asia at this moment. I mean, here you have President Trump, who is substantially diminished, very, very low in the opinion polls, and is just coming on the back of this week of these very dramatic indictments of three of his former campaign aides. So the the stink of the Russian inquiry will will follow him very closely all around this trip in Asia. And at the same time, he's going to be meeting directly with Xi Jinping a week after he was re-coronated by the Chinese Communist Party as the Chinese leader for at least the next five years, maybe for the next 15 or 20, for all we know. So there is this going to be that the, the body language for once is actually going to be very, very interesting, illuminating to see how these two guys with very different sort of political fortunes at the moment appear amongst each other, deal with each other, and just how it, how it looks seeing them interact. Mm. And Katrina, you're just back from a trip to Asia with James Mattis, the US Defence Secretary, where presumably he was laying a lot of the groundwork for... Uh, the president's trip. What did you glean? What are the main uh, takeaways from that trip? Well, one of the most interesting things that's happened in the past few weeks is that Rex 
Tillerson, Secretary of State, and uh, Defence Secretary Jim Mattis have really gone hard on trying to uh, make long-lasting overtures towards this region that they are now suddenly referring to as the Indo-Pacific. And uh, we can expect to hear Trump use this phrase much more. Now, it seems to revolve around... Um, three key ideas. One is um, the rise of India, which uh, both Tillerson and Mattis are now backing diplomatically and in security terms as well. Um, on the sidelines of these meetings in Southeast Asia, Mr. Mattis met with the Indian Defence Minister, and the US is rolling out a real menu of high-grade military options to India that they hope will bite, buy into US uh, military hardware, but also come along with Japan and Australia to represent a new security architecture in the region. Now, if that can actually work, if they can deliver that, that, that this is really the first step in, in a hope that they can build up India as a bullock against China. And that really is... Um, the key effort that they are trying to develop in Mr. Mattis' meetings in Southeast Asia, he, of course, was trying to uh, focus on alliances, alliances, alliances. Now, this is really quite a different focus from the one that Mr. Trump has had with his own America First rhetoric. But um, as far as the main institutions of state and defense are going, they are making a huge outreach to reassure allies in Southeast Asia that the U.S. is there and will be there. Now, these meetings took place in Manila, a place, um, country whose president has already lambasted the Obama administration, but even under Mr. Trump, who's extended some overtures towards Duterte. Duterte called America this year a lousy place, and he's a real volatile character. Mr. Mattis had uh, a good meeting with him, I understand, and right at the top of the meeting, Duterte said, I'm going to make sure I'm politically correct and stick to my script. Now, the key question will be, will he continue to stick to, stick to his script when he meets uh, Mr. Trump later on in his visit? And the third thing, of course, is North Korea and unifying the region and uh, using real leverage on China to get what the U.S. wants on North Korea, which isn't all always entirely clear, but Mr. Mattis made it quite clear that he wants to support the diplomats, and that has been his mantra throughout this trip, even when he was on the border with North Korea looking right into it. Mm. And Jeff, of course, that's a very interesting kind of tension, even within the Trump administration, where President Trump likes to talk about fire and fury, make it very clear that, uh, at least rhetorically, he's very drawn to military action. And Mattis and Tillerson seem to be pushing the diplomatic angle. Do you think this is all carefully coordinated? I mean, one would like to believe there's a strategy somewhere there. Uh, you would like to believe that. And to me, to me, actually, some of the most significant statements have actually come from the uh, National Security Advisor, General McMaster, who has said on several occasions, including quite recently on, on US TV, that he, he thinks North Korea cannot be deterred. And that seems to me kind of a key point. If he really, if he really does believe that, then that seems to be very, very important. You, you might think of that as just part of this process of trying to what well, they would say re-establish deterrence against North Korea. So you you talk talk tough, you use some quite dramatic rhetoric as a way of showing that you you know you really are firm and you really want to push back. But that phrase could also easily become the logical leap which justifies a preemptive war against the North Korean nuclear program. So if you see not just Trump but also other senior figures in the administration using that kind of language, and then that I think is very important. Mm. Did you get the impression, Katrina, on the trip that the war drums are beating whatever uh, Mattis's private inclinations might be? 
No, I think he's very clear that war is not an option. And you certainly get um, a very visceral experience of that when you get on a helicopter in Seoul and fly really just for 20 minutes and you're um, right at the North Korean border, this very uh, heavily guarded, demilitarized zone with two million landmines and artillery facing right at millions of people in Seoul who are within instant reach of that firepower should war ever break out. And I think the defence establishment has an extremely good understanding of quite what the risks are uh, with North Korea. Now, Mr Mattis makes it very clear that should North Korea um, launch an attack against the US, it would respond with massive military might and would be destroyed, uh, which many people have also sought to interpret Mr. Trump's uh, threat of fire and fury also being uh, an invocation of a retaliatory attack rather than a preventative strike. Um, Certainly there is talk, there are war games, there is war planning about how a preventative strike could work. Um, Mr. Mattis has talked rather elusively about having some military options. Now, he hasn't spelled those out. He refuses to spell out what those are. But he believes that there may be some steps the U.S. could take that wouldn't actually provoke a retaliation by North Korea. It's not clear what those might be, but he thinks he can do it without actually launching full-scale nuclear war. Now, that's really, really important. And right on the border, he said, our goal is not war. He quotes uh, Mr. Tillerson all the time, and the pair of them really try to shore each other up. Now, when they talk about Mr. Trump's more fiery rhetoric, they um, don't always echo that rhetoric, but there is a sense that it isn't unuseful to have a sense of the threat really uh, crank up and that they can be, as it were, the good cop to Mr. Trump's bad cop. Now, of course, it's going to be a, a two-way dialogue. Trump is going to meet all the, uh, his Asian partners, friends, sort of semi-foes like the Chinese. Uh, so, Jeff, what do you think he's going to hear back, in particular from China, which is, lest one forget, directly threatened by, by what's happening in North Korea. I mean, a war in the Korean Peninsula would be a disaster for China. Yes, I, mean, I think you'll get very, very strong messages specifically from the Chinese and the South Koreans about how crazy it would be to uh, conduct a preemptive war against the North Koreans. And what they will say is precisely what Katrina just said, the prospect that hundreds of thousands of people within a few hours in Seoul would die if the US actually did try to take military action against North Korea. That will be the, the, the dominant message that will, he will face uh, uh, when he's there. With the, the Chinese, I mean, it's going to be incredibly interesting just to watch how he, how he behaves because his, his, his rhetoric and the, the policies of the administration have really been all over the map in China over the last few months. I mean, they've threatened all sorts of action on the trade front but haven't really done anything about it, which has caused all sorts of disturbance in the U.S. economy. It's actually caused the trade deficit to, to rise in the U.S. as people import all sorts of steel and aluminium and the expectation of future tariffs. And then even just the things he said about Xi Jinping, I mean, he, his statement about the Chinese Communist Party Congress last week, it almost came across as if he was fawning over Xi Jinping. He struck me as faintly envious. I think he said, you know, people call him the king of China. He's like, just a real strong man, and yeah. I have to deal with this pesky Congress and these inquiries. And so so all those things, I think, will be very closely watched to try and understand what it is he's actually trying to do or what he actually thinks about how to deal with China. Um, yeah, I mean, Katrina, specific on the specifically China piece of it, if one can leave aside North Korea, which I know is very difficult. 
Where do you think uh, Trump is on this uh, continuum between confrontation with China and actually trying to get a decent uh, relationship with him? I gather he's going to arrive in Beijing with a lot of CEOs in tow, which suggests a business focus. Trying to work out where Trump is on a spectrum is is a kind of constantly changing graph. I think um, there's a very basic effort to maintain the South China Sea as an important issue. Um, his, um, both Mattis and Tillerson have repeatedly uh, emphasized the mantra of freedom of navigation. The U.S. has maintained the pressure on the South China Sea, where, of course, China has built artificial islands and equipped them with military installations. Now, the U.S. used to have the Philippines on its side. It actually undertook a, a legal claim against those uh, islands, which it won. But very little has happened as a result. And in that sense, the U.S. has really lost regional traction on the South China Sea issue. And um, it's not clear if it can unify the region sufficiently against China to halt some of its extraordinary strategic and military uh, expansion. Now, to, to, to involve, to weave in North Korea here is actually very important because aside from North Korea, in itself as an issue, it's quite a useful rallying cry. Um, the U.S. has tried to put China under pressure because of North Korea, but also unify a region that is really uh, often very fragmented through the cause of North Korea to put that kind of diplomatic and defense pressure on China. Um, alongside that, though, as you say, you have this real play for economic gains for the U.S., this sense of a trade deficit that Mr. Trump simply won't accept, a real attempt to tr- uh, bang the drum for U.S. business um, at a time where the um, tone of exchange between the U.S. and China at first really very wholesome. We had a visit to the U.S. It came off in very friendly manner, but with a very strategic involvement of um, launching missiles at Syria during that visit. And there is always a sense that uh, Mr. Trump wants the Chinese to know that he does also have a bite as well as a bark. So, Jeff, to to, to conclude, I mean, there's, there's so many different themes floating around, but do you get a sense that this is going to be, albeit with the crisis in North Korea in the background, a fairly conventional American visit to Asia, a restatement of all the kinds of things that American presidents uh, generally say when they visit Asia? Or are are we going to see an America first policy from Trump that, that turns a, a lot of old assumptions on their heads? So my hunch would be that the White House will try to orchestrate uh, the first option, a very conventional U.S. trip that reassures allies in the Japan and South Korea, tries to make it seem like they can do business but be tough with China, and attends a regional summit. It's like ticking all the right boxes for a conventional American strategy. But the wild card is the behavior of this president. I mean, I think one thing to understand is that he's going to be away for 12 days, away from the White House, away from his bed. He's a person who, who doesn't seem to react very well to unpredictable circumstances. He's going to get tired and grumpy. He's going to be very busy. It's going to be a very stressful trip. And so the chances for him to go off script, to say things that upset people, to, 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 to make a diplomatic mess are really quite substantial here. And, of course, when it comes to this idea of Molly coddling the president, uh, unlike his own senior administration officials 
his vice president, his secretary of state and his secretary of defense. He is not going to visit the demilitarized zone in North Korea. Now, his own officials say that's because there isn't time in the schedule. But this is a 12 day trip. And uh, what is much more likely is that this is an attempt to rein in Mr. Trump so that any hint of loose rhetoric will not be unleashed on the border as he stares North Korea down. Well, gives us something to look out for. Thank you very much indeed to Jeff Dyer here in London and to Katrina Manson in Washington. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.